And as you're being seated, I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to uh, Titus chapter 1. We are at the start of our exciting study through this New Testament book of Titus. God is working in us and speaking to us in this series. God is growing us in our faith in Jesus, and God is making us more like Jesus. In other words, this is the place to be this morning. Tell your neighbor this is the place to be. Tell your neighbor, I'm glad you're sitting next to me. This is the place to be, and I'm glad y'all are happy to be near the ones you're with. Uh, That's a good thing. Uh, Because you're going to be sitting with them here for just a little bit. Uh, And we're going to pick up where we left off last Sunday in our study. We're in chapter 1 and uh, we're in verse 5. And Paul wrote these words, The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone and as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. Titus was in Crete to lead and organize the churches throughout Crete. Titus was to set right what was left undone. That means to put in order, to straighten out. Titus was to straighten out the churches throughout Crete. He was to put in order. He was to straighten out the things that were out of order in the churches, and he was to put in order, he was to straighten out the things that he and Paul had not been able to get to while Paul ministered with Titus for that brief period of time in Crete. Titus was also to appoint elders in every town. Titus was to appoint, to designate, to select godly qualified elders in the church to lead the church. As sheep need a shepherd, So God's people need pastors. God's plan for leadership in his local church, which is our focus here at the start, includes elders. Elders are the under-shepherds to Jesus, the good shepherd. We know that Jesus told us in John 10 and verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He told us in John uh, John 10 and verse 27, the sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Jesus is our good shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd as Peter shared with us. He is our good shepherd and we are his sheep. We follow our good shepherd Jesus, and we follow his under-shepherds, his elders, his pastors, who he has set over us in his local churches. Elders are the godly qualified, spiritually mature men who have been appointed, equipped, empowered, and called by God to lead in the local church. Elder presbyteros, pastor poimen, and overseer episcope are words that are used interchangeably throughout the New Testament to describe the same position of leadership in the local church. Elders is plural, as you read there, not singular. 
This tells us that God's plan for leadership in his local church is for the local church to be led by a team, a plurality of elders and pastors. Our church family here is led by our team of elders and pastors. We have five elders, George Bewley, myself, Greg Klimko, Daniel Silva, and John Wolfe. The point we see at the start of this study, and it's impossible for us to miss, as we start our study in chapter one, the point we see at the start of this study is leadership is important to God. Leadership is important to God. Therefore, it should be important to you and me. Leadership is important to God. Now, we know this for several reasons. God placed his Holy Spirit in us when he saved us to lead us day by day. God places his elders and pastors in his local churches over us to preach and teach his word, to love and care for his people, and to lead and guide his people to live and love God's way. God wants each one of us to be servant leaders, to share and show Jesus to those around us by the power of the Holy Spirit of God who lives in us. Leadership is important to God. Leadership is important to you and to me. And so we now have a little bit more understanding. Paul told Titus, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone. And as I directed you, appoint elders in every town. This second admonition this second word of encouragement, appoint elders in every town, was a huge task. Just think about it for a second. A huge task, an important task, a necessary task. The spiritual growth and health of the believers in the churches in Crete, the spread of the good news of the gospel throughout Crete, the name and fame of Jesus was at stake. Paul told Titus, appoint elders in every town. Thankfully, Titus had three sources to help him fulfill this task. This was no small task. This was a monumental task. It was the top task of setting right what was left undone, meaning appoint elders in every town. He had three sources of help to fulfill his task. So I want us to look at these three sources of help that we see here in this passage that helped Titus to fulfill this difficult, challenging, all-important task of appointing elders in every town. The first source of help was Paul's encouragement. Titus had the full backing, encouragement, and support from, uh, Titus had that from Paul. Titus had all of Paul's backing, encouragement, and support. Paul wrote to Titus in verse 5, and he said, and as I directed you, appoint elders. So we know in verse 5 that this was a discussion point between Paul and Titus. They talked about this while they served with one another there during Paul's brief time of ministry in Crete. This was something that Paul and Titus discussed face to face. Paul told Titus, listen, 
Uh, if I'm not able to get to this with you, then you're going to have to do this, brother. You're going to have to appoint elders in every town. More than likely, I think it's, it's within reason for us to, to say that no doubt Paul more than likely shared with Titus about how he and Barnabas appointed elders in the churches that they planted during their first missionary journey uh, back in the book of Acts. They planted churches in Lystra, Derby, Iconium, and Antioch and Pisidia. And we know the scriptures, Luke told us that uh, they appointed elders. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in every one of those towns uh, as they then left and went back to home base in Antioch. And so we know that this is a source of help uh, that Paul had shared with Titus in person, but now Titus also had the letter. So Paul directed Titus in person, and Paul reminded Titus in this letter that he had delivered to Titus. Paul's backing, encouragement, love, and support, and teaching, and training would have been significant for Titus as he fulfilled this task of appointing elders in every town. The second source of help was the Holy Spirit's guidance. The Holy Spirit led Titus as Titus led the churches in Crete. Therefore, the elders in the churches throughout Crete would have been appointed by God through his Holy Spirit at work in and through Titus. We see this uh, testified for us in the book of Acts. If you turn to your left to Acts chapter 13 real quick, we're going to look at two passages in the book of Acts. So you'll keep your spot in Titus, but turn to the left, just a few pages. Acts chapter 13, we're going to see the first example of the Holy Spirit's guidance as it relates to this appointment, uh, this uh, designation, this selecting of elders. In Acts chapter 13 and in verse 2, we read, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit, say that with me out loud, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So you see there in Acts chapter 13, what we find there is the leaders in uh, the church in Antioch were seeking God. And as they were seeking God, as they were praying and seeking God, the Holy Spirit of God spoke to them very clearly and said, I want you to select. I want you to set apart. And I want you to send off Barnabas and Paul for the work to which I've called them, which was to leave and be missionaries for the Lord, to take that first missionary journey and to go evangelize the nations and plant churches. And so we see this in Acts chapter 13. If you continue to your right, Acts chapter 20, we find another example of the Holy Spirit's guidance as it relates to elders, pastors, overseers. In Acts chapter 20, in verse 28, Luke wrote these words, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit, say that with me out loud, the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. What we find here in Acts chapter 20 is Paul 
is meeting for the last time with the elders, the pastors from the church in Ephesus. Luke is recording this scene, and Paul meeting with these elders from the church in Ephesus for the last time, he tells them to be on guard spiritually for yourselves and for your flock. And then I think it's significant, he reminded them that they had been appointed by the Holy Spirit of God as elders, as overseers, as pastors in the local church in Ephesus. And so we see Titus had the help of Paul's encouragement. He also had the help of the Holy Spirit's guidance. Here's what Titus was responsible to do as it related to his tax to appoint elders. Titus was responsible to seek God. He was responsible to listen to God. And he was responsible to obey God. When God, by his spirit, spoke and identified the godly elders in the churches throughout Crete, Titus was responsible to obey God and to appoint those men to be elders in those churches, to lead those churches. The third source of help that we see here is the list. It's the list. Let's move into verse 6 in Titus chapter 1. And we continue, Paul told Titus, an elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife with faithful children who were not accused of wildness or rebellion. An elder must be blameless. Here in verse 6, we see that Paul gave Titus a list of qualifications that an elder must meet, a list of qualifications that an elder must possess in order to be considered as an elder. This list of godly qualifications would help Titus select and appoint elders in the church to lead the church. Appointing elders did not mean, follow me, appointing elders did not mean select the oldest men in the church, select the most educated men in the church. Appointing elders did not mean select the most popular men in the church. It does not mean select the most well-liked men in the church. It does not mean select the wealthiest men in the church. Appointing elders means select God's men in the church. That's what appointing elders means. Select, designate God's men. We see the importance of this task in how Paul also shared a list of godly qualifications with Timothy, very similar to this list in his first letter to Timothy in chapter 3. Peter shared and discussed a similar list of qualifications in chapter 5 of his first letter to the believers in the five provinces or areas that we know of today uh, as modern-day Turkey. The point is clear. Proper biblical leadership in the local church is important 
and necessary. Elders, pastors, overseers must be faithful to God, to his church, to his people, and to his word. Now, I want you to take just a moment, because we're going to look at this over the next several weeks to come, but there's something in this for all of us. Because as you look, beginning in verse 6, you're going to notice that this list of godly qualifications for elders is also a great list of qualities for every follower of Jesus Christ. It's a great list of qualities for every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ. We would all do well to possess and express these qualities listed in Titus chapter 1. God wants each one of us to be faithful to him, his church, his people, and his word. And so as we study this chapter, and in particular, here this list of godly qualifications, the specific context for this list of qualifications is certainly elders, overseers, pastors. We are in view specifically. And so in a sense, you're able to uh, look at uh, the job requirements, the ministry requirements, God's requirements for me as an elder pastor. We're going to be able to really take apart these expectations, these requirements, these qualifications that should be within every elder, pastor, overseer, that should be developed and displayed through their lives. But as we look at these qualities, understand and realize these are also qualities that God is working to develop in each one of us, in you and in me. There's not going to be any one of us who are hurt or held back from what God wants for us if we happen to possess these qualities, if we express these qualities. They're for all of us. And so this is going to be something that we're all going to be able to gather around together, and we're going to be able to look, and the Holy Spirit's going to begin to processing with us. He's going to move and speak to each one of us. And he's going to do an examination, an internal audit of you and me in regards to these qualifications. And so we want to be quick to listen and respond uh, to him in obedience as we make our way through. So let's, let's look. Let's start this list. Let's look at it this morning. Let's uh, just see how far the Lord takes us, how far we get. The first qualification is this. An elder must have godly character. An elder must have godly character. Godly character and integrity was so important to the Lord that he emphasized it through Paul at the top of this list and throughout this list. Paul wrote to Titus in verse 6, an elder must be blameless. An elder must be blameless. In other words, an elder must have godly character and integrity. I love what one Bible scholar said. He said, the Lord is primarily interested in who you are and then what you do. The Lord is primarily interested in who you are and then what you do. He well understands the latter will flow from the former. So we understand godly character is the base quality. It's the foundation from which all these other qualifications that we're going to talk about spring. It's the base. It's the ground. It's the foundation. It's godly character is the foundation from which all these other qualifications spring. This qualification was so important, being blameless, 
was so important that Paul not only emphasized it at the beginning of verse 6, but if you look at verse 7, he emphasized it again. In verse 7, look at the beginning of verse 7. As an overseer of God's household, he must be what? Blameless. So in verse 6 and verse 7, he makes it clear. This qualification is non-negotiable. This qualification is a must. An elder must be. He must be blameless. So let's look at what this blameless quality means. It, it in essence, means godly character and integrity. But let's take it apart a little bit more. Blameless in the original language literally means above reproach. It means unaccused unreprovable. It means cannot be called into account or question. Blameless means an elder pastor is not guilty of a consistent, obvious flaw, problem, or sin that would cause him criticism and the church criticism that would disqualify him from ministry. Let me give you an example. An elder must not be drunk at local sporting events, screaming at the coaches and players, cussing out the officials and starting fights with everybody near them. That would not be blameless. And no, you can't have one or two of those and just say, well, he didn't say, he said all four. I can't do all four. But I, I, I could do one or two. No, no, no. No. That kind of action, imagine, just imagine, out at a little league game, and your pastor or elder, I can't believe John would do that, your pastor elder, oh John out there, act like that, you'd start to wonder, you, you kind of start to wonder a little bit. That's an example, an elder is blameless, they're, they're not going to be Consistently demonstrating these qualities. Blameless means that the godly character and integrity within an elder is consistent in the church and in the community. Blameless means an elder's character stands the test in public, in private, at home, at church, at work, and in town. Simply put, an elder or pastor is to be a godly man worth following and imitating. An elder or pastor is to be a godly man worth following and imitating. Now, we see blameless in what that means. Let me be clear, just so we're all aware. Let me be clear and share four things that blameless does not mean. Four things that blameless does not mean. So as we, each one of us, seek to be blameless in our character and our integrity. Each one of us, godly men and women, teenagers, boys and girls, as we all seek to be blameless, as the Holy Spirit produces that blamelessness in us and develops our godly character and integrity, let's all make sure that we're clear what blameless does not mean. The first, blameless does not mean an elder is perfect. An elder, pastor, just like every follower of Jesus Christ, still battles with the desires of the sinful flesh that rage inside him. An elder, pastor, still has to fight on a day-by-day -day basis the sin residing in him due to his sinful flesh. 
Blameless means an elder pastor will confess his sin to God when he sins against God. He will be quick to seek forgiveness from those he may have offended or wronged by his words or actions. And he will also be quick to pay restitution if it's necessary or needed. An elder pastor is not sinless. An elder pastor strives to sin less. An elder pastor understands the importance of daily confession of sin. An elder pastor is quick quick to seek and show forgiveness. An elder pastor understands the one who called us is holy, so we're to be holy in all that we do. And that's true for elders and pastors and for each one of us. Each one of us as a follower of Jesus Christ understands, I hope and pray, the importance of daily confession of sin. Each one of us understands how important it is on a day-by-day basis to seek and show forgiveness. To be holy in all that we do because God who called us is holy and he calls us to live holy lives. Blameless does not mean... An elder is perfect. Secondly, blameless does not mean an elder is above temptation. An elder pastor, just like every follower of Jesus, knows that he must be sober-minded and alert, spiritually aware, because he knows his adversary, the devil, is prowling around him like a roaring lion, looking for an opportunity to devour him. An elder pastor knows, like every follower of Jesus Christ, that he must take God's escape route out of every temptation that he faces on a day-by-day basis. An elder pastor knows, like every follower of Jesus Christ, that he must take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ Jesus. An elder pastor knows, just like every follower of Jesus Christ, that he must set his mind on things above, not on earthly things. An elder pastor knows just like every follower of Jesus Christ, he's able to do battle spiritually against his enemy with the truth of God's word. Just as Jesus Christ, when he was tempted, responded to Satan with scripture. So an elder pastor, like every follower of Jesus Christ, knows the way to victory in the day-by-day living for Jesus Christ is when those temptations come to respond to those temptations with scripture that has been stored up deep within his heart and mind. So we know blameless does not mean uh, that we are perfect. Blameless does not mean we're above temptation. We understand this. Blameless does not mean, number three, blameless does not mean an elder doesn't need help. Blameless does not mean an elder doesn't need help. Listen, an elder knows better than anyone that he needs God's help to live God's way. That's why an elder will humble himself before the Lord, knowing that God will lift him up in his time, in his strength, for his glory. An elder knows that God's grace is sufficient for him and his power is perfected in his weakness. Therefore, an elder rejoices in his weakness because he knows that is the very moment when he is at his strongest because that's when the power of Christ and the grace of Christ rests on him. An elder knows that Jesus is divine and he is but a branch. And as long as he remains in Christ and Christ remains in him, he can bear much fruit. But an elder knows apart from Jesus Christ, he can do nothing of spiritual significance or value. And an elder, therefore, understanding he needs help, welcomes. Let me say that again. An elder pastor welcomes the accountability, the encouragement, the help the love, the support of his fellow elders and his brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. An elder knows full well that he needs help. Elder pastor knows he's got blind spots. 
and his life. That's part of the reason why God said in regards to his local church, there needs to be a team, a plurality. Why? Because one elder has blind spots. But when you put a group, a team of elder pastors around one another, the hope and the prayer is those blind spots are illuminated. And with a team, there's fewer and fewer and fewer, if any, of those blind spots. So that's why it's so important that we're going to look here immediately following this qualification. We're going to look right to the home. We're going to go right to the home, to the elder's wife, to the elder's kids. Because the elder's family knows better than anyone that that elder pastor, her husband, their father has blind spots. You can ask any family of an elder pastor, and they will tell you, blameless does not mean an elder pastor is perfect. Above temptation, doesn't need help. And so we see how this relationship uh, for elders in the home, but also the relationship for the elders in the church and the relationship among elders is so vitally important. The fourth point is blameless does not mean does not mean an elder can relax spiritually. You see, an elder knows well about the enemy's tactics, temptations, and tricks. An elder knows that Satan bombards his mind with his lies, accusations, doubts, and temptations designed to discourage him and draw him away from God and the truth of God's word. An elder knows that he does battle in his mind on a regular daily basis. An elder knows this. And I can assure you as a pastor, as an elder, that it is a consistent battle. You can ask any elder pastor, even in the point where I'm teaching, there's like 30 different conversations going on within my mind. And a great majority of those conversations is happening as I defend myself against accusation after accusation after accusation from the enemy, even as I am preaching and teaching the word of God. An elder understands this. An elder therefore understands he he can't relax spiritually. An elder understands that Satan wants to destroy his fellowship with God, his unity with God. An elder understands that Satan wants to stop the Holy Spirit from producing his love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control in his life. An elder understands that Satan doesn't want him to live in his victory in Jesus, in his freedom in Jesus, in the peace that is his in Christ Jesus. And he understands that Satan is constantly trying to lure and entice him away from God and the truth of God's word and the help and encouragement from God's people. Therefore, an elder, a pastor, like every follower of Jesus Christ, denies himself, takes up his cross daily, and follows after Jesus. An elder and pastor knows that he cannot relax spiritually, that he cannot take long vacations from giving to Jesus, growing in Jesus, and going for Jesus because he knows and understands that there's a war going on. And he is in the middle of that war. The same is true for each one of us as followers of Jesus Christ. We're caught up in the middle of the battle of spiritual warfare. And our enemy wants to destroy our fellowship with God. He cannot take our relationship with God away from us. He cannot take that away 
uh, and threaten us with eternal separation and damnation and hell apart from God because that security, that salvation is secure in Christ Jesus. Once we're saved, we're always saved. And once we're saved, we're changed. He can't touch that, but he sure does try to come after our joy in the Lord, our fellowship with the Father, our fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, our peace with God. He tries to come at us and he wants to destroy that in our lives on a day-by-day basis. He wants to make us as miserable as possible so we'll be ineffective, ineffective in leading God's people God's way. So we'll be ineffective in being the witness that God calls us to be so that we'll be discouraged, so that we'll get depressed, so that he can hopefully ultimately lead us to decisions to destroy us because that's what he ultimately wants to do. He is the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So we know and understand that God wants his elders and pastors to develop and display godly character and integrity. We know God wants every one of us as his kids to develop and display godly character and integrity. He wants us to be men, women, teenagers, boys, and girls who show this character and integrity, this Christ-likeness to all those he's placed around us. The great news for you and me this morning is we also, we also have three sources of help to develop and display this godly character and integrity. Three sources of help. Praise God he doesn't send us off into the Christian life and say, I hope it works well for you. Do the best you can. I'll give you your grade at the end of your life. And I'll let you know where that lands you, what part of heaven. He doesn't do that. He gives us three sources of help. Just like we know that Titus had three sources of help to fulfill his task to appoint elders in every town. We have three sources of help to develop and display godly character and integrity. The first is that we have encouragement from one another. Encouragement meant a lot to Titus. Encouragement means a lot to us today. We all need encouragement. We all need to give encouragement. The Bible tells us that we're to encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you, say that with me out loud, none of you, again, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Encouragement from brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus helps us to say no to sin and yes to the Savior. Encouragement from us as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus helps each one of us not to be hardened by sin's deception. Encouragement helps us not to stray from the path of Christ's likeness. Encouragement is so important to us. That's why the scriptures in Hebrews told us that we are to look out, we're to consider, we're to think about ways that we are able to provoke and to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We need to be constantly thinking on a day-by-day basis, moment by moment, and especially when we come to church, especially when we gather together uh, in corporate worship, especially when we gather together as uh, life teams, especially when we gather together in our discipleship relationships, especially when we get together in our men's and women's ministries, especially when we get together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, we need to be thinking about considering ways in which we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The scripture says that we're to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching, the day referring to the return of Christ Jesus. And listen, every single day that passes brings us that much closer, that much, that much more time closer to the return of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
every day that passes means we're a day closer to the return of Jesus Christ. And I think you would agree with me, especially in the day and the time that we live, we need to be encouraging one another all the more day by day. We need to be encouraging one another because if we look outside of this world, we're not going to get encouragement. It's going to be discouragement. It's going to be used by our enemy to create fear, to create doubt, to create discouragement, to create hurt in us, to keep us from what God's called us to do, which is why we as brothers and sisters in Christ are called to be an army of encouragers. And the scriptures tell us this throughout the New Testament, as these brothers and sisters were persecuted for the faith in Jesus Christ, as some of them were losing their life for their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the authors of scripture kept saying, encourage one another, encourage one another, encourage one another, even more, every day, all day. And that's still so important for you and for me. And just think about how many ways we can encourage one another today. And we have got tons of different ways to encourage one another on social media, though unfortunately it doesn't happen as often as it needs to and should on social media. We can do that. We can encourage one another through phone calls and texts and emails, visits. And then when those times happen that we know we're, we're getting together, we know God's bringing us together, man, those are times we're ready to just unleash encouragement. And this is Important for all of us because not all of us comes in every week ready to encourage. There are some of us here this morning that did all they could to get into this worship center, to sit in this seat. They fought a battle we don't even understand to get to this place. They came desperate, they came thirsty for the Lord. And we know the Lord's going to speak. He tells us that. We know the Lord's going to speak. But I want you to think of it at that next level. The Lord always speaks to us, but just understand and realize the Lord also wants to speak to us through us. You see, I hope you came ready to be that one to fill and to pour encouragement into that brother and sister who came thirsty. I hope you came ready. If you didn't come ready, I hope you get ready. I hope you get ready right now, right this moment. And if you came thirsty, I hope you give us an opportunity to help fill you up with encouragement. You see, at times, we have folks who come ready to fill that encouragement and to pour it into folks, and yet they don't necessarily know exactly what's going on. And so there's, there's a dual responsibility there. We need to be ready to continually give encouragement to one another, but we also need to let one another know when we need it. Because that's when the Father does the beautiful work of helping to continue developing and displaying that godly character and integrity among us and within us, and from us to one another. That is the first source of help. We have encouragement from one another. We also know that we have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. 
The guidance of the Holy Spirit is huge for you and for me to develop and display godly character and integrity. The same Holy Spirit that lived in and led Paul and Titus is the same Holy Spirit that lives in and leads you and me. Our part is to walk by the Spirit, to humbly surrender ourselves to God each day, to admit that we need God's help, and to follow His leadership in our lives day by day, moment by moment, step by step. As we walk by the Spirit, Paul told us we will certainly not carry out the desires of our sinful flesh. And so as we walk by the Spirit, we are blessed and we bless. We are comforted and we comfort. We are encouraged and we encourage. We are helped and we help. As we walk by the Spirit, we are loved and we love. As we walk by the Spirit, we are served and we're able to serve. The Holy Spirit's guidance for you and for me is the key point the key, most important source of help that guides and directs us, and he's the one who leads us to encourage one another. He's the one who points us to our brothers and sisters in Christ to go and encourage them. He's the one who does this all throughout our time together. During the invitation time, he's the one who points us and tells us, I need you to go to this person, I need you to go to that person. Oh, I'm not so sure. I don't, I don't know. That's just me making it up. No, 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 no. It's the Holy Spirit giving you a, design, a divine assignment to go and minister, to go and encourage, to go and pray, to go and bless. And so we have encouragement from one another. We have the Holy Spirit, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And then the third source of help is we have the truth of God's Word. God's Word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. As we hide God's Word in our heart, we won't sin against Him. We're able to keep our way pure by living according to the truth of God's Word. You see, the truth of God's Word reminds us to resist sin, reminds us to say no to sin and yes to the Savior. The truth of God's Word helps us to live in our victory in Jesus. The truth of God's Word helps us to live in our freedom in Jesus. The truth of God's Word helps us to share the joy of Jesus that we have with those around us. And the truth of God. God's word reminds us to help one another. The truth of God's word reminds us to help one another. Now, there's a couple things. We need to do life together so that we can know one another. Because when we do life with one another, we know one another. And when we know one another, we therefore know when, where, and how we're able to best encourage one another. If we're not doing life with one another, we don't know anything about one another, the likelihood is we're not going to be very effective at pouring encouragement into one another, especially into the areas where they need that encouragement. So we need to do life with one another so that we can know one another, so that we can know how to encourage. And then we need to know the Word of God, because one of the best ways to help one another is to share God's Word with one another. One of the best encouragements you can give to your brother or sister in Christ is the simple truth, the powerful truth, the never-changing truth of God's Word. You see, God uses His Word in our lives that's his main tool used by the Holy Spirit in our lives to make us more like Jesus. God's word is the main tool he uses in our lives to develop that godly character and integrity as the Holy Spirit takes this word, teaches us this word, and then he inspires and empowers us to live out this word in our day-to-day -day lives, which leads us then to encourage one another, to pray with and for one another, to bless one another. And in that way, we all win. We all win because we are able to help one another. God uses us in his work in one another's lives to develop 
and to display that godly character and integrity that he is developing in each one of us and that he wants displayed through each one of us. And so we understand, again, how important it is for us to respond in obedience as the Father continues his work in us. It makes sense to us now, even more so, that the psalmist said years ago, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. He wanted to get to the house of the Lord because he knew there was going to be worship. He knew there was going to be the truth of God's word taught. He knew the power of the Holy Spirit would be unleashed and at work in his life and in the lives of those around him that had gathered together with him in God's house. And he knew it would present and provide a wonderful opportunity to give and to receive encouragement and love and prayer and support to his brothers and sisters in Christ and to receive it from his brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And so God gives us another opportunity this morning to walk in his word to give encouragement to one another, to follow the guidance and leadership of the Holy Spirit of God in accordance with the truth of God's word and to minister to those God's placed around us, to respond in obedience to him. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and, and lead in this time of response to the Father. And I want to encourage you, to respond to him this morning in obedience. Our prayer partner is going to be standing here at the front. What a great morning. What a great opportunity to come this morning. If you're one of those that I described this morning and you came into this worship center and you desperately need encouragement, it took everything you had to get here and to make it into this worship center. There's so many challenges and difficulties that you're battling with in your life right now that you are thirsty, that you would say, man, I, I need, I need a word from the Lord. These prayer partners are standing here and they would love to pray with you. They would love to pray for you. They would love to pour encouragement into you. You could turn to a brother or sister in Christ who is seated in you or go to a brother or sister in Christ that you know well in this room and you can go to them and say, I, I'm exactly that one, thirsty and in need of encouragement. And I'm sure that brother or sister in Christ would begin to pray with you, to bless you, to encourage you. The altar is open as always is to come and, and kneel and do business with the Father, responding to him. Maybe you just want to come and follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He's guiding you. He's directing you. He's wanting to do business with you. And so it's just you and him right here, right now. As he's searching your heart and your mind, moving and working in you to draw you closer to him, to continue developing that character and that integrity that is yours in Christ Jesus within you. This is God's time. And as God's people, let's respond in obedience to him. If you've never received God's gift of salvation, placing your faith and trust in Christ Jesus, if you would say, you know what, Mark, I, I've never got the issue of salvation and my relationship with God settled. And quite honestly, I'm very unsettled. I don't have a relationship with God. I know a lot about him. I believe there is a God, but 
I don't have a personal relationship with him, then today is a day of salvation for you. Jesus took your place on the cross. He paid your price for sin. He died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. He rose again. He's alive today. And faith in Jesus is the only way into relationship with God. Trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for you and for me is the way that we're able to receive forgiveness of sin and enter into a relationship with God. It's by God's grace working in our lives through our response of faith in Jesus. You can make that decision. You can receive this gift of salvation this morning. These prayer partners would love to introduce you to Jesus. I'll be standing here at the front. Let's stand and let's respond to the Father in obedience to Him.